Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Amen. So this morning, I was, um, we had to kind of, we actually had to change the teaching series for the month of July. Um, we were going to do a series called 30 Seconds After You Die, and it was felt that might be inappropriate. <laughs> so, so actually, things were, things were hastily rearranged. <laughs> and... Um, And so we came back, we, we, we came and had a, have a series in, on the life of Elijah. Those of you that have been here summer, all of the last few weeks, and Tom covered week one, Domingo did week two, Charlotte did week three. Uh, and I'm, I'm coming on this morning, and I, I caught this morning's teaching from the life of Elijah, coming back when you've hit rock bottom. I, I love the story of Elijah. I, lo- I love the, you know, the stuff that we've been hearing about, and the way that God used him, the incredible things he did. He prayed, it stopped raining. There was drought to punish the king for his wickedness. And then how God guided Elijah, and when everybody else was struggling to find food, miraculously, he goes to a stream that God guides him to, and ravens bring him meat and bread every day. Now, that's a miracle. Did you ever sit on the beach eating your whatever and you dropped a little bit in the sand and a million seagulls appear, right? And you'd, you'd swear you never saw one yet today and you didn't see any sign of them, but suddenly instinctively from 94 miles away, they know a crumb from your hero fell on the beach and they're all there. Now just think about it. You would say, yeah, and the birds fed him. Hello? Ravens, scavengers. I mean, from Elijah's perspective, I don't know. You know, in, in 2019, it would be like, excuse me, uh, Mr. Raven, have you had that in your mouth? Right? I mean, forget licking ice cream at Walmart and putting it back again. It's like these, you know. <laughs> Where's this stuff being like, you know? You dumpster diving at the back of the Chinese last night? It's like, you know, wait a second. But it was a miracle. And then when the brook dried up, the stream dried up, God sent him to a lady who had very little, but miraculously her very little continued and went on and on and on. And her son died and he raised her from the dead. And then uh, as, as Domingo shared a couple of weeks ago, finally Elijah called a showdown on Mount Carmel between the prophets of the false god Baal and the real God. He said, let's have a, let's have a, a, a competition. Let's settle this once and for all. You build an altar, put a sacrifice on it, you ask your God to send fire down from heaven. And of course, nothing happened. And then it was his turn, hours later after they'd given up. And, and what he did was, he got them to douse the whole thing in so much water, they had to build trenches around, the, around about it for all the water to go. And he prayed, and God immediately sent fire from heaven that burned up the sacrifice. It, it got rid of all the water even. And that day it was established who was God. 
I know some of you will be waiting for December when, when Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker comes out. Yeah. If I had the opportunity to have had a conversation with J.J. Abrams, the, the director, like a few years ago, I might have said to him, why don't you do something totally different? Why don't you do God Wars, The Rise of Elijah? Because that's a real story, and it's unbelievable. Love to see the, the kind of movie version with all of the effects. But if I was directing the movie, I think I'd have it finished when the fire came down from heaven, and they're killing all the prophets of Baal, and I'd have kind of music coming in, and, and I'd have kind of, you know, you fade out from it, and you have Elijah kissing his girlfriend. I know there wasn't one in the Bible, but there is in every movie. Right? So you'd have Elijah kissing his girlfriend, and there it is. God wins. That would be a good movie, wouldn't it? I'd have left it there. But you know what? When God inspired the writers to write the Bible, they didn't leave it there. Charlotte mentioned last week this verse in the book of James, chapter 5, that sometimes it's hard to get your head around, where it says, Elijah, for instance... Human, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Elijah, human, just like us. I think if the story ended with the fire coming down from heaven, we'd have even more difficulty with the idea of Elijah, human, just like us. But some of the things that happened afterwards show us that he was. Like as Charlotte said last Sunday, she took us through the passage like, the very next time Elijah prayed, it didn't work. Hey, I can identify with that, can you? The very next time, after the fire from heaven business, right after there, he went to the top of Carmel, said, okay, God, we've proved our point, send rain, and it didn't happen. And he prayed again, and he, he's, he's there bowed down to the ground, praying like crazy. Then he says to his servant, go take another look. Servant goes, take another look. Wouldn't you hate to tell like a great prophet, um, no, nothing there. And he keeps on and keeps on, and Charlotte brought out some tremendous stuff from that story. Now, I can identify with Elijah in that situation, can you? And I can identify with Elijah in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. So it did, rain did come. It started to rain. Elijah said to King Ahab, you'd better get back home or else your chariot wheels will get caught in the mud. It's going to rain so much. Ahab reported to Jezebel. Now that was his wife, right? Ahab was the most wicked king in the history of the country apparently. But by this stage, he'd basically given up a lot of the responsibility and his wife Jezebel had assumed it. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat, the gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, 
to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm, all, I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Not long before, there was this great celebration, this great victory right there on Mount Carmel. And now here is Elijah, and Elijah hears the threat from Jezebel, runs from his life, sits down, and says there in verse 4, it said he was wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. From, zero, from 60 to 0 in 5.4 seconds. Amen. Ready to go. Gung-ho. Fantastic time. Suddenly, bang. He's hit with a threat by Jezebel. He's running away. And the way he's feeling now is that life is over. And you know what? Without wanting to be over dramatic, we've all been there sometimes. We, is that right? And some of you might well be here this morning. Now, let me make this clear. I appreciate the welcome back. I really do. I appreciate being able to share a couple of things. But Sundays are never about me or anybody else who's up here. Right? Sundays are about Jesus. And Sundays, from a pastor's perspective, are about the people who are here worshiping. And I want to talk today to some of you who may right now be in a situation where something has hit you in life and today you're feeling pretty much at rock bottom. Maybe something in your family life. Maybe something to do with your work life, your relationships, your money. Life might have been just fine, but all of a sudden, maybe in the last few days or in the last few weeks, it's like the bottom fell out. So how do you come back when you've hit rock bottom. And what I want to do is I want to look at Elijah's steps back after he had hit rock bottom, okay? Now, I started this off with four points, and I haven't preached for 10 weeks, so I've got a lot of preaching in me, you see. So I, I did cut it back to three, and let's see how we get on. But I hope this will be a help to some of you that are there now, and for every one of us, if it's not where you are now, put it in your back pocket. How do you get back when you've hit rock bottom? The first thing I see in the life of Elijah, and I want to encourage you in, is this. When you hit rock bottom, you've got to look after yourself. You've got to look after yourself. Most of us are not so good at that. We'll do everything we can to look after other people and to make sure that they're okay and to do our best to see that they're taken care of and to help them and encourage them and love them and provide for them. But a lot of us aren't that good at looking after ourselves. And you know what? When you crash, what you need to do is to really focus within and say, I really got to look after me. First thing it says here about Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and verse 5, it says, exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Exhausted, he fell asleep. Now, I'm just going to like take some liberties here with my imagination. I think the night before the experience on Mount Carmel, he might not have slept much. Is that a fair comment, would you think? Right? Like, well, tomorrow morning is the morning, and uh, maybe he didn't. 
But there had been so much going on that physically and emotionally he was exhausted. And the first thing we find here, which begins his recovery actually, is he sleeps. He was exhausted. He was worn out. And it's understandable that he was worn out. The very first thing he needed to do was to rest. I, I, so many people were in touch with me. And honestly, it got like in the first few days um, after my diagnosis and the surgery that followed. Um, I couldn't be bothered. Does that sound bad? Like I couldn't. I was, it was like I had to do what I'm talking about. I had to focus in on me. And if I did anything at all, if folks texted me, I just hit the like and that was it. Or messaged me, I hit like. I wanted them to know I'd seen it. But you know what? I've got to look after me. Someone told me, it seems as if the Lord knew you needed a rest. Now, some of you have been through the experience I've been through. It's not a rest. God knew you. Now, look, okay, I don't know what kind of God you serve. The God I serve, if God knows I need a rest, one of you is going to come to me after service, say, Rog, I've got a condo in St. Martin. I want to buy you tickets, and I want you to go there for a month, and I'll cover all your costs, right? That's God's gift of a rest. A heart attack and a triple bypass with complications, I don't think is God's idea of a rest. So, you know what you learn to do? We all do this in life. You learn, well, I didn't, I hit. I hit like on that, though I was lying. And, uh, you know, sometimes in life you just smile and say, I love the southern phrase, bless your heart. <laughs> it really means I'm stupid, can you be and still breathe, but bless your heart. <laughs> God wasn't forcing me to rest. As I told you before, he was saving my life. God was actually equipping me for a few more years to come. Quite a few more years to come. In fact, in fact, if God was going to be done with me sometime in the near future, none of this would have happened. But, but you know, some, sometimes when we hit rock bottom, you've got to do what I had to do. You've got to withdraw from everything. And look out for yourself. I'm going to tell you this. It's best not to wait till you hit rock bottom to actually start to look after yourself. But if that's where you are today, if, you, you know, if, you, if you've really you know, been knocked down it by life, the very first step is you've got to look out for you. I hear people say, you know what? Well, I live tired and I live exhausted. And you know what? I get it. I get what life on Long Island is like. But in the end of the day, if we live exhausted, we're asking for trouble. So Elijah rested. And look what it says next, verse 5. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake. That would give you a heart attack just by itself, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, the Bible just says it. You know, suddenly an angel woke him up. It's like, oh, great. Good to see you. <laughs> it would freak me out. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise... Right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals. He was seriously tired. You know why? If there was fresh bread baking right by my head, 
I wouldn't be sleeping that long, would you? <laughs> he ate the meal and went back to sleep. You know, you know what I love about this part of the story? The angel did not come along and preach him a sermon. There was no condemnation from the angel. The angel didn't come and say, Elijah, what's the matter with you? You never ought to be here. What do you think you're playing at? The angel didn't come and say, well, Elijah, you need to start taking better care of yourself. The angel came along and just gave him what he needed and let him rest. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 31, it says this, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Weren't there people who needed encouragement? Weren't there still people who needed healing? Weren't there still people who needed help? Yes, there were. But Jesus realized if he let this go on, they would all be totally worn out and no use to anybody. So Jesus said to them, what I want you to do is come away to a quiet place with me and let's get some rest. There's a principle there that we've all got to learn in life. And trust me, I've thought about that a lot this last few weeks. And the first step to making a comeback may well be that you've got to let go of people and things that are draining you. I'll say that again. The first step to making a comeback may, need, may, may be that you need to let go of people and things that are draining you. Listen, we've all got 24 hours a day and seven days in a week. But how we fill them is up to us. But if you do not control your own life, others will control it for you, and they will run it into the ground. So it's okay to say no to people. It's okay to say no to things. You've got to do that. There came a point where in the hospital, we, we, we put up a notice eventually that said, you know what? Um, just family visiting. Because I'm in a blessed position where like at least half of you would have been coming up to see me. And it's not that I wouldn't love to see you, but it would have worn me out. And I couldn't deal with it. Charlotte explained last week, when I finish preaching this morning, I'm going to go out that door into my office to rest for second service. I've got to do that. I'd love to hug every one of you. I'd love to tell you that I love you and thank you for praying for me, but I'll do that another time. Is that okay? You've got you to gotta look after yourself. The first step to coming back when you've hit rock bottom is you've got to look after yourself. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The promise of Christ for every one of us is rest. And if we are living a life which is leaving us jaded and is leaving us in a place where we're stressed all of the time, then somehow there's only two alternatives. One is that Jesus' promise doesn't work, or the second is we're doing something wrong. All right? Now, my bet's on the second one. I'm sorry. Right? Come to me and I will give you rest. Hey, Genesis 2 says this, verse 2, by the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. That's the work of creation. 
So the seventh day he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. God established a Sabbath principle. That is that there's a day that's set apart that's different. Now, the, the thing is, you know, in, in 21st century culture, uh, for a lot of people, the S- Christians establish Sunday as the, their Sabbath, is that Sunday's become one of the craziest days of the week. So the day of rest just doesn't happen. Heck, you know, a lot of you got a million things you've got to go, go and do today. And my, my, what I want to say to you is just be careful you don't get to a place where you live fried. You say, well, the things I've got to do. And maybe you need to look at, have you got to? And maybe you need to look at your schedule to say the things I could get done in some other way at some other time. Because here's the bottom line. Every one of us, our life is a gift from God with a purpose from God. And the reality is this. We will not fulfill the purpose God has given us if we've worn ourselves out already. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. Verse 7. The angel of God came back. I did tell you I've got 10 weeks of preaching I've got to get through, right? The angel of God came back, shook him awake again, and said, get up and eat some more. So he rested. The angel gave him what he needed. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate, and drank his fill, and set out. Look at this. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights. Wow. Angel food cake. That's what it was. (laughs) Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. Now, that is significant. I'll tell you why. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Spiritually, it was a very significant place in the life and in the nation of Israel. The angel took him back to a place of huge spiritual significance, reconnected him with his spiritual history, And God started to speak to him there. I'm going to tell you this. Another significant part of looking after yourself is to get back to church. Now, you say, wait a minute, Roger. Hello, we're here. You are. But it may be, and I know there are friends coming today who aren't normally with us, and that's great. And I'm not saying get back to this church, but I'm saying get back to church. Okay, there are folks watching us on uh, Facebook Live on our, on our website right now from, from, you know, other countries as well as all around this country. And to you, I want to say, if you can be there, get back to church. And you know what? Everybody doesn't need to come to this church. There are some wonderful churches around us. But I'm going to say this, if get back to your church, to you, means going back to some place that wasn't meeting your spiritual needs, in that case, get back to Genesis. Is that good? Listen, I've spent 10 weeks watching our services from a distance, and I'm tremendously grateful to our technical guys who put that together and who made that happen. I'm so glad that I had that as an option, but it wasn't church. Your church. We're church. Being together live with other people. That's church. 
Now, I know life gets busy. You may say, well, I, I can't always make it. Friday morning, I went to St. Charles Hospital, and uh, they did an assessment of me because I'm gonna, tomorrow I'm going to start their cardio rehab program. And with the cardio rehab program, I have to go there, and they gave me the slot. They said, yes, the only slot we've got is you need to come Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays at 5 o'clock. Now, that's not convenient, right? 5 till 6, Monday. I said, how long has this gone? They said, 12 weeks. So for the next three months, they want me to go to St. Charles, 5 o'clock, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You think I'm going to do that? Yes, Yes, of course I'm going to do it. Is it convenient? No, it's not convenient. But you know what we spend our lives doing? Prioritizing our time. It may not always be convenient to be here on Sunday morning, but I want to tell you this. You need to prioritize your time because the first thing towards looking after ourselves is that spiritually we need to be in the place and with the people and in the environment where God talks to us and God blesses us. He has done in the past and He will do so in the future. Look after yourself. Okay, the second thing. The second thing is you've got to let go of the lies. It's funny, I was having this conversation with someone earlier this morning. One of the most dangerous places for any of us to spend any length of time is inside our own heads. Right? It gets crazy in there. I mean, it is crazy in there, but you know what I mean. But that's where Elijah was when he ran from Jezebel, left his servant, went off by himself, sat under a bush. He's sitting there alone. And when he was down there, what came to him was so negative. Verse 9, then the word of the Lord came to him. So Elijah, sorry, he's not there now, he's on Horeb. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I like that question. It's like God was puzzled. (laughs) Elijah, what are you doing here? God knew full well what Elijah was doing. You know what he wanted Elijah to do? He wanted Elijah to verbalize the situation. Speak it out. Bring it out of your head. Speak it out. God said, tell me about it. So what's the situation? What's the problem? And here's Elijah, verse 10. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. I want to suggest to you, Elijah, at that point, it wasn't that he was feeling alone. It wasn't that he was feeling vulnerable. Look at what he says here. He being the prophet. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I think he was feeling a failure. God had called him to bring the people back to trusting him. And here he is sitting down now, and he's saying, you know what? I've failed. I'm the only one that is left. He felt like a failure, and some of you might be there this morning. Maybe you've slipped back into old habits. Maybe you've got a child that's really going through a difficult past just now, and you're feeling you must have failed. Maybe your marriage collapsed and you're starting to think, well, what did I do? I must have done something wrong. Maybe you lost your job. Name the scenario. 
But some of you here today might be right there right now feeling that you have failed. Now, let me say this. You've heard the phrase that your perception is your reality, right? So what I perceive, how I see things, to me, that's how they really are. Now, I don't dispute that statement. Your perception is your reality, but it doesn't actually mean to say it is the reality. In fact, you've got to be careful when you're sitting down with your own thoughts in your own head. Jesus said this about the devil in John 8. He said there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil will do his utmost to tie you up, drag you down, will have you ready to give up. You know what sets you free? Go on, answer me that one. You know what sets you free? The truth sets you free, right? The truth sets you free. So God told Elijah the truth. It's not that you're the only one that's left and they're looking to kill you. God says, verse 18, I have still have left in Israel 7,000 followers who have not bowed their knees to Baal or kissed the images of him. Elijah, what you're thinking, I'm sorry, but it's not the truth. And one of the things we need to learn to do, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. It says, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. What we have got to do is let go of the lies. And some of you are sitting here today, and, 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 and the lies have dominated your thinking. And the fact is, God wants you to know truth today. And the truth will bring you freedom. Elijah said, I failed. God said, you haven't even started yet. You've got to replace the lies. You know, the first day that I was in the cardiac care unit when I'd been admitted, you know, when family left, like, I knew nothing about heart bypasses, okay? I visited some of you even in hospital who've had them, but I knew nothing about it. So I did what you must never, ever do, and we all know it. I Googled. I Googled heart bypass surgery. Now, I know you must never do that. You know you must never do that. And I'm reading through what it says, and I love the bit where it says it is a very safe surgery with a 98% success rate. And I thought... What if my surgeon has had 98 this year that went well? <laughs> if I'm number 99, it doesn't bode well for me. No, and I started going down that road, and I'm thinking my surgery is Thursday, May the 23rd, so I guess May 23rd could be the day I die. No, my head went there. Inside your own head is the worst place to be. And some of you today need to let go of the lies that have tied you down. And then you know what I did? I went back to what the cardiologist had told me. And, I, and, and here's where I went in my head. It's like if God wanted me dead this week, I'd be dead this week. But the reality is that I'm here today because there was a major issue and God wanted to save my life. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Remember God's plans for you are good. All right, that's two out of three, right? One more. I've got I to hurry because we're going to have parking lot issues otherwise. <laughs> Promise me you'll leave quick. <laughs> nice to see you. Get out. <laughs> Number three. 
How do you come back when you've hit rock bottom? You've got to lift your focus. Lift your focus. You look after yourself. You let go of the lies. You look up and look forward. Listen, if you are still alive, you're not done. Right? You're not done. That first couple of days after surgery, I was in and out of sleep with, with um, oxycodone. Oxycodone, I guess they were stuffing me with until I told them to stop. And uh, I was in and out. But you know what? I remember, I, and I might have said this to some of my family. I'd say to nurses or different ones who came to attend me, I'd say, I'm not done. I'm not finished. I may have been saying that actually for my own benefit and not for theirs. But that was my confession. And that was where I was headed. I'm not done. I am not finished. And nor are you. And nor are you. This, you may feel down. You may feel depressed. You may feel hopeless or afraid or unsure. But the reality is this. For every one of us here today, we're here. And because we're here, it means God's plans and purposes for every one of us are far from finished. God told the prophet Elijah, you need to move forward. Verse 15. He said, it says, the Lord said, go back the way you came. Get back to where you were. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Anoint Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from someplace to succeed you as a prophet. <laughs> you know, God said to Elijah, there are prophet things I need you to do. Prophets were the people who anointed those who were going to be kings, those who were going to serve as prophets. And, and God said to Elijah, get on and do the things you were meant to be doing. What is that for you, I want to ask you this morning? Maybe you need to start praying like you used to pray, or serving like you used to serve, or pursuing your recovery like you once used to. Or maybe pouring everything into your goals like you once were because you've given up. But God knows there's far more ahead of you and he wants you to lift up your eyes. Take care of you like you once used to. Live for Jesus like you once used to. There's still more. You, you, know, you know why, you know why I, I set July 28th, I'm going to be back in church. That was the date I set myself. July 28, I will be back in church. I didn't know where I'd be at, but I've used that as a goal to work towards. July 28, I will be in church. You know one of the big reasons why? This weekend, it was the last weekend in July in 1970, I did my first service as a pastor. Amen. So this weekend marks 49 years that I've been pastoring. And I, and I wasn't going to spend my... 49th anniversary of pastoring on the recliner watching anybody else on TV with great respect to everybody. I wanted to be here, and you know what? There's more. There's more for every one of us. God said, I want you to go. I've read this story, and you might have heard it. Tom, if you guys want to start coming back, you being up here would shut me up probably. Um, <laughs> I've read this story, and I've preached this story this way before. Lord, forgive me. That basically, Elijah said to God, I've had enough. And God said, okay, Elijah will take your place. But you know what? That's not how it happened. God gave him somebody to help him, but 
Elisha did eventually. Actually, he never did die. God took him up to heaven in a chariot of fire. I love that. He never did die. Lord, I want to die. Sorry, you're never going to. But he was at least another seven or eight years before he went to heaven. And God gave him a helper. Elisha was going to be the successor. There was more. I guess over the last 10 weeks, it's become more and more apparent that God's putting in place what will happen one day when my chariot of fire arrives. And I'm blessed to be able to look around me and see these people and to say, my Elisha is Charlotte. But the fact is this, there's still a heck of a lot more for me to do too. But, 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 but listen, but listen, listen. No, listen, get this, you gotta get this. You gotta get this, today's not about me, it's about you. It's about you. And it's about God's got a lot more for you to do too. However, life might have beat you down, wherever you might be at right now, God's got a lot more for you to do. And my encouragement for you today is listen, start looking after yourself. Let go of the lies that the devil sowed into your head and look up and move into what God has got for you. Let's pray together.